0: You're listening to the Nall Share with Dr. Dave podcast. This is your host, Dr. Dave. I hope you're pursuing your awesomeness. Nall Share with Dr. Dave is streamed on grokshare.com and broadcasted on iTunes and Google Play. The Agility for Humanity AFH Tucson Meetup is a new launch in 2018. A monthly podcast will be created of the conversations and will be hosted on the NAL Share with Dr. Dave channel.
1: Welcome to uh, the Agile for Humanity uh, meetup in Tucson, Arizona. Um, We're doing a a wonderful experiment with with webinars, see how we could really connect the local community with speakers and presenters and just great thinkers throughout the world. Um, My name is Dr. Dave. I'm your host. And... You know, I'm really excited to have this launch and and get it going as a new opportunity uh, for people in in, when I think of the business agility space and using different techniques to enable us to uh, deliver value faster for our customers. Um, We we have um, great participants today. So why don't we go ahead and John, why don't you do a brief introduction and then we'll have Miss Bond and hopefully Daniel will be back by then we can just start our presentation. why don't you go ahead and give us a, a quick, hello, who you are, you know, the, the, the quick elevator pitch scenario.
2: Sure. So I'm a, a business coach and I work with fortune 500 companies to bring agile into their organization. And, uh, I, I currently am, um, working on a book. It's, uh, it's about to release. It will be on LeanPub in any, any day now, I would say. Uh, I've co-authored a book called Agile Coaching, Wisdom from the Trenches. And my new book is entitled The Business Agility Kernel, How Value-Seeking Interactions Can Transform Your Fate and Fortune.
1: Awesome. Hey, I'm Ms. Bob. Uh, you want to give us a, a wave of uh, who you are?
0: Yes. So my name is Ba Chaudhry. I'm a, sen- uh, a senior Lean Agile coach uh, in um, Short Hills, New Jersey. I work for Dunham Bradstreet, and this webinar was recommended to our team by our VP. So here I am.
1: Okay. Great. Glad glad to have you, Misbah. Um So I think Daniel is back. So which is awesome. Anything you want to give a pitch as to who you are?
3: Can you hear me? Okay. Sure. Can. I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so my name is Daniel Mezik and um, I've been coaching Agile for over 12 years now. Before that, I had a decades-long career in software development and teaching software developers. So I think I'm probably taught over 70,000 software developers over about 25,000 hours of training. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I have two co-authored or authored published books on organizational change. One's called The Culture Game. Another is called the Open Space Agility Handbook. And the third, which publishes in the fourth quarter of 2018, is entitled Inviting Leadership: Invitation Based Change in the New World of Work. I have um I have four kids. Um it's been fun, that's been a fun development project. And um, I'm happy to say they're all out of the house. So that's a little bit about me.
1: <laughs> Good. Uh, maybe you guys could uh, either drop the the, the 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 titles of your book and, and their availability into the chat space or send them to me via email so that um, I could put them up on the, the uh website, which is where we do um, most of our podcasting. Um, so if you could send that to me, that would be really An amazing thing to happen.
2: Um, So without
1: further ado, I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing myself. So I I really want to just get involved, get going with the the discussion and and get John to start, you know, sharing his knowledge. And then we'll just have an open discussion um, as we need be. I think people should be able to just hop in and out and ask questions. And John, you could, you know, meter that as needed. So why don't we just get started? So it's 1040 at this point in time. And we'll like to just get rolling with this. So John, um, the floor is yours or the digital space is is yours.
2: Fantastic, thank you very much. And in just a moment, my screen should start sharing. Uh, Let me know when you see a transformation by invitation coming
1: up. I could see it, John.
2: Oh, perfect. Okay, so. Uh, just to kick us off the the first thing that I wanted to do is uh, go ahead and uh, give a brief introduction, which we 've already done verbally, as you can see i've i 've got about five thousand hours since two thousand and ten coaching various teams and organizations through their agile transformation and working on a book um, i I like to really use something called open space as a meeting format that iteratively helps enterprise go through an agile transformation. It's really a journey. And I'm also a trainer in that methodology, open space agility, It's actually not a methodology, more of a framework, um, related to engagement, which we'll go into in more detail. And so one of the things that I've experienced is that when we go through an agile transformation, sadly, many of those transformations were like a forced march affair and it resulted in what I sometimes call transformation, which is not a good thing. And uh, what, what happens is that there's disengagement and kind of dead, lifeless scrum happens, even resentment crops up. And um, so I'm, this is more of a confession than a boast. And um, if this is something that anybody in the audience, as you're listening, maybe you might be in groups, um, that's resonating with you, you might not be free to actually, you know, uh, chime in and say so. So I'm just going to introduce a few baseball signs. You can sign to each other or sign to me. You can do a head-shoulders-head-shoulders tap with your hands or an elbow elbow, elbow-ear tug, just to let everybody know that you want to know this has happened to you before some organization and i 'm going to let Daniel walk briefly through his uh, his background, Daniel, if you want to chime in this is this is an opportunity yeah
3: you know, thank you i just uh, I unmuted I just want to say um, i think i 've already briefly introduced myself and i 've been um, uh, tragically deformed by decades of teaching software developers who have absolutely no tolerance for resume um, recitation. Um, so let's just say that if you want to know who I really am, you can find out. Let's we can just go on from there. That's, <laughs> That's okay with you. That's wonderful.
2: So a question to think about is how good can it get with an agile approach? So if you've, you know, liked working with an agile approach, um, not just as, you know, something that's in name only, um, why not use an agile approach to become agile as an organization? And an even wider question, what does a great workplace feel like for the individuals working there? Well, first of all, You might say, well, uh, there's a genuine sense of control. There's a genuine sense of progress, a sense of belonging, and most importantly, a genuine sense of purpose. Okay, so if that's not present where you're working right now, let's ask ourselves, what's in the way of that? What are the points of tension for people who are responsible for actually making transformation happen? What are the difficult dilemmas that they're confronted with every single day? So somebody listening to this this webcast might be a CEO, and this is something that they might say to themselves. I'm willing to go all the way with software agility and business agility, but I know for a fact that many of my direct reports are invested in the status quo even though they say they're bought in and i just flashed very briefly the cone of uncertainty as a director of engineering of engineering they might be saying yeah i'm totally i totally understand how the cone of uncertainty works for new products but no one else above me actually understands what that cone implies and if they do they view the cone as a kind of lame excuse for not delivering faster, cheaper, better. Is any of this resonating with folks who are listening? You can send yourselves baseball signs now if you want to. And what about the Agile transformation leaders? So if I'm an Agile, transfer lead, agile transformation lead, Agile is about learning and applying it, but learning comes in seconds in the the moment when crunch time comes. And it's always crunch time. And I'm I'm the one responsible for success or failure of this transformation effort, yet I need literally everyone to help me pull it off. And some don't. I'm empowered to make this thing happen, yet it's our internal customers who are really in the driver's seat. And what they say is, actually valuable to them changes constantly, like every single day. And how about product owners? So a product owner is in the position saying, the scrum guide says that everyone in the enterprise is supposed to respect my decisions. And they say they do, but they actually don't. I have all the responsibility, but without enough real authority to actually be successful, to build a great product. We absolutely depend on feedback from our stakeholders, yet we cannot get their commitment to routinely attend sprint reviews and demos. I'd just like to add here, this is literally happening today with many of my clients. Like we're talking dozens of teams who've had tens, possibly over 50 retros, very seldom attended by any stakeholders, anyone outside the scrum team itself. That makes it very hard to get feedback. This landing so let me
1: ask a question, John. Yeah. Um, so, so what can we do to begin to bring about that change, right? Since we, you know, as a coach, I experience the same thing. So I'm just curious to see, mm-hmm. do we have a recommendation or a guidance um, mm. to pull that off?
2: Absolutely. Well,
3: I, can, I can hop in and give a, a, a decent answer to that, John, if you say, think it's okay.
2: I think it is. Please do.
3: Well, basically what we can do is we can ask people for their consent to proceed with the very difficult undertaking of um, agile transformation, which includes some clear agreements about Roles, rules, and uh, how we're going to operate. So we never do that. We just impose it on everyone, and then you know, we basically assume magic happens here, except that it doesn't. So if you want the magic, you've got to ask people for their consent, and inviting them is a great way to do that. And um, that's all I have to say.
2: Yeah, this is this is exactly the point of um, of the transformation. Just as in order to get engagement from stakeholders, you need to invite them to a sprint review and you need to make it optional. By doing that, you show respect for their time, for what they have to say. And just because they don't show up one time or just because they say no, not saying not making that like a sticking point that like they're wrong or they're saboteurs of the transformation or they're saboteurs of your of your product actually inviting people we're saying no is okay with you and then maybe another time invite again
1: so let me ask you that so i mean in my experiences with, with large large transformation one thing we've tried to do was use um, kind of like high fidelity tools, much like Zoom and where we have an opportunity for people who may be on the road or, or have other conflicts, um, mm-hmm. give them an opportunity to, make, I know it's not real-time feedback, but it gives them an opportunity to go back and, and review. Um, and that's part of the consensus process too, is really asking that question. Is mm-hmm. that also an alternative where they could review um, the actual activities that took place and be able to give feedback. It's a delayed feedback, but it's still feedback nonetheless. And And I know it's not optimal as, as in, in terms of our practice, but I'm just putting that out there as a thought for, for us to just munch on or pull our ears or give us another baseball sign.
2: Yeah. You know, um, when when people are presented with a choice <laughs> – they tend to engage a lot stronger and so you know a question we can ask ourselves is when was the last time if ever that we were given a choice to do scrum and having that choice implies that we know what scrum is so there's there's got to be some kind of a, some kind of a definition or agreement about what we mean when we say scrum and Fortunately, you know, you've got the the scrum guide that that defines that if we can agree That's what we mean when we say scrum and then everybody can come together. Who's going to be affected by? the the rules of the game in in the scrum guide which defines scrum Then people can actually think about it talk about it and explicitly say well I'm in on under these conditions if they want to make a counter proposal that's possible If everybody can get together and speak openly and freely about it. And that's another aspect that is key to having successful transformation happen. Um, and we'll, we'll go actually more into that. So how do you create a venue or a space where people can gather together and speak openly and make choices, right? There is a way. So, Let's, let's jump through a few more. Um, there's project matters. Uh, project managers, they get affected by Scrum. They have concerns. Scrum masters, also, they have their dilemmas. And then I've got a kind of an awkward exercise that we could do, um, putting it out to the people that are, that are in the webinar or watching. Ask yourself if, if you've ever been invited to an open all-hands meeting to discuss and plan the Agile change with everyone who cares. And this is not uh, does not include any closed-door meetings with just the executives or the higher-ups. Anybody who's been to one of those, you've been invited optionally to attend something like that.
1: Nope, it's either in or out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's been my general experience as well, is that we're, we're basically either in the higher-ups, so we decide how it's going to happen. We try to be clairvoyant and make predictions about what will work. And um, if we're not inside those, those higher-ups, then it gets rolled out onto us. And that's maybe not what we actually want or expected or enjoy. And there's, there's a certain way that people react to things like that. And it might not be what was intended with an agile transformation. So let's look at how we can achieve a genuine and lasting agile transformation or transition. Peter Block, who's the author of a book called Community, The Structure of Belonging, which you can find online and And download and read. Uh, It's it's quite succinct. Uh, He said, transformation occurs through choice, not mandate. Invitation is the call to create an alternative future. What is the invitation we can make to support people? And then Martin Fowler, who's a signatory of the Agile Manifesto itself said imposing an agile process from the outside strips the team of the self determination, which is at the heart of agile thinking. So it's kind of an oxymoron to say imposed agile transformation. Martin also said imposing agile methods introduces a conflict with the values and principles that underlie agile methods. So here's some key things to address in in an agile transformation or any kind of transformation for that matter. Authority distribution, agreements, experiments, self-management and inviting. So if we look at agile software development and ask, what is it? We know from the values in the manifesto, it's individuals and interactions over processes and tools, we build projects around motivated individuals, we give them the environment and support they need and trust them. Here's some impediments that come up. Those worries and concerns that I opened with from managers, architects, executives, even the team members themselves. those impediments and worries come because if your agile is going to stick, then the way that authority is distributed is going to have to change. And that's very triggering to a lot of people because they start asking themselves, is this gonna affect my authority? Am I not going to be able to tell people what to do anymore? And how am I to add value once that authority is either taken away or distributed partially, or temporarily, or completely and permanently? These are questions that need to be answered. So let's take a case in point. Let's consider Scrum. Scrum is actually an authority distribution schema. It's very clearly defined in the Scrum Guide. And like I said, it's triggering. And it's triggering not just for those who have traditionally had all or most of the authority, but everyone really in relationship to that authority. And so I want to make a I want to make a deal, I want to make a proposal to executives, people that traditionally have a lot of authority. What I'm proposing is that by giving up one unit of authority, you get hundreds of units of all out employee engagement. And isn't that a good deal? We're not saying divest yourself entirely. We're saying Give up one unit for a massive return on that investment. Practice it, try it, and start out small with it. What do I really mean by authority? Well, the right to do work is what I mean here. Making decisions that affect the group is the most important kind of work. So deciding is engaging. And while being subject to those decisions may or may not be, Deciding pulls people in. So here's a model you can think of authority through. The dominant influence on your company culture is how authority is distributed. And that affects the rules and policies of the organization, which affects the communication paths and flow, which affects the culture. After all, individuals and interactions are what comprises the culture in this way. So Scrum fundamentally redistributes the authority in some way, or it probably isn't real Scrum. What do y'all think about that? I made a claim.
1: Interesting uh, proposition there, John. Mm
2: Is it, is it triggering for you? Does it, does it seem somewhat unsettling?
3: Here, can I offer uh, an example, John, briefly?
2: Yes, please. Yeah.
3: All right, John, let's say I work for you. And uh, let's say I'm going to, Dave's at the same level as you and he's in another organization. And I want to say something to him and I discuss it with you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's what you tell me in in an organization that has a strict hierarchy. Don't go around me, Dan. Don't go around me. Whatever you say to Dave, I need to know ahead of time exactly what it's going to be. So here we can see how the way authority is distributed throttles and regulates the communication paths and flow. So there's an example of what this diagram is representing. And now I hand it back to you, John.
1: Thanks. So, so can we say that the trigger for that type of behavior is often fear of, of what may happen?
2: I think so. And, well, and that, that fear is,
3: is actually throttling your culture, right? So I'm afraid to talk to Dave until I talk to John first, because John pretty much told me, Dan, uh, I got you by the performance review, and you don't want to go around me. So please don't do that. See what I mean?
1: Of, of course. Certainly.
2: Yep. And I think a a good uh, real life example would be um, an email that Elon Musk sent out to everyone in his organization about a year and a half ago. It was published um, in an online article. And it basically went something like this. Um, When it comes to the quality of our product, and in this case, um, we know Elon Musk. Uh, he he makes both rockets and um, electric cars. Um, and he wasn't he wasn't it wasn't an easy path, especially with the rockets. Um, when someone has a concern about quality, I'm authorizing you now to speak directly and immediately with anyone who you think should be concerned, could be concerned, or might be able to help you. And that means that you do not have to go up and back down the chain of command. Anyone in my organization who is requiring their direct reports or anyone inside of their sub organization to go through them will be subject to immediate termination from my organization. I can imagine that that would be an extremely triggering communication from Elon Musk because it's, 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 it's in the absolute. It's not an experiment. You know, they didn't ease up to that. It was a monolithic decree. And so there could have been cultural repercussions for that. I don't know. I'm not inside of any of Elon Musk's organizations, but It certainly is some very clear signaling from the leader right? saying, um, I don't want to have the uh, structure of my organization and the distribution of authority impede any of the communication paths. Um, That may or may not be possible. I guess time will tell. But that's that's one example of how it actually uh, played out uh, in real life. Thank you Yep. so let's continue down this this thread uh, and, and wrap up on the authority piece. so we know that authority is a social thing it's actually conferred by others on people so by by being compliant with authority you're you, or, or being compliant with what someone says or directs you're giving authority to that person. Or sometimes by doing nothing, by not interfering with what somebody is uh, saying or doing that's affecting others, you are giving them authority. And then how decisions are made that affect the group is the authority distribution. And it does drive communication and culture. If an external authority makes all the decisions, there is a huge risk of disengagement. Something to consider. And so then in summary, redistributing authority is difficult, people are deeply invested in the current schema, and if you do not change it, your transformation is dead on arrival. It will be transformation in hope and name only. So an exercise that we could do in like two minutes is to explain the impediment to scrum to a neighbor if we pair up and your experience at work at work right now and identify how the authority uh, relates to the root cause so let's take let's take a minute maybe to do that or We can cut it out of the uh, the webinar if we want to maintain our anonymity. Well,
1: I mean, or or we could just have a dialogue, you know, around it, right? (laughs) I mean, if Ms. Bot wants to um, jump in, I'm not calling you out, but I'm just (laughs) making it an option um, if if we want to talk about that and and give an example of what that experience is 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 like. Um, I mean, and I could just kick it off and just says that. You know, even though I've had lots of um, authority to do many things, oftentimes trying to bring about agility into other business units, uh, you know, have been met with resistance, you know, by leaders that, you know, I have or my direct managers or or leaders at that time. Oh, no, no, we we don't want you investing your time with those people um, at this point in time, but where you could see that they're requesting um, the, the support to, to learn this new way of doing work and oftentimes you know people are siloing and say no I, you know agile only belongs to us mm-hmm. agile doesn't belong to uh, a non-it group mm-hmm. uh, for example so it's it's that that level of, of impediment where you know uh, the authority itself is blocking Um, the actual spread of of agility as a practice throughout the organization, which is quite unfortunate, you know, when you run into that. And it's frustrating because it's really important that even if it's just an introduction, um, it it makes it hard where people want to manage your time, right? Yeah. (laughs) And manage your output, you know, and, and the outcomes that could happen from you just being, open and sharing scrum as a practice in and to other on other non-it departments per se dave yeah
3: i want to just make a brief comment here when we start agile adoptions whether they're business agility adoptions or software adoptions here's what doesn't happen we don't get agreements up front on essential terms and essential rules so for example we don't get agreement we don't discuss in an open forum uh, what the definition of Agile is, or what the definition of Scrum is, or what the definition of Kanban is. So once the transformation, quote unquote, gets started, we're doing all of this negotiating about terms. You know, while we're in flight, this is a serious error. It needs to be handled up front before we take off from the from the uh, runway. Second thing is the terms are only the beginning, Dave. The second thing we need to do is go back and review and discuss the rules of kanban so for example in kanban we have things called policies in the kanban method we, those need to be discussed and also in scrum you know for example uh, there's a rule for the product order to be successful everyone in the organization must must respect his or her decisions okay so um a quick show of hands at conferences where i keynote shows that less than 10 percent of groups as large as 800 hold their hand up when they're asked the question on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is perfect, where does your organization stand on this rule of scrum? Like when I ask them, who's got a six or higher? 10% of the people are raising their hands, Dave. So what's going on here is there, there's, we're not getting an agreement up front on the rules of the game so people cannot be held accountable to those rules. So is it any surprise that high authorized individuals, managers, directors, and, and higher uh, routinely violate the rules of Scrum when they never agreed. And now I'll, I'll give it back to John.
2: Super. Thanks. And, you know, this is a discussion I, I think is, is very valuable. Um, and I, I suggest maybe, you know, uh, at a later time, we can go into more you know, detail or, or specifics. But definitely worth thinking about. And so next I'd like to start talking about invitation. Invitation prompts decision making and sets up a sort of micro authorization. And here's another model to to consider the stack, the results stack that comes with great invitations. So there's receiving the invitation, there's decision making, employees become more engaged and then self-managed and then there's this newfound capacity to respond to change that might not have been there before. And then, because of that newfound capacity to respond to change, you get great results and outcomes for the customer and for the business. This is the why of agile transformation. Without those results, why bother? So what goes into an invitation? Every well-formed invitation contains clear goals, clear constraints and boundaries, clearly described ways to experience feedback and progress, and an opt-in to participation. So if we look at like a schematic of how that flows, the sender defines and sends an invitation. So this is where we're getting our definition maybe of what is this about? I use these words, what do they mean? Then as a recipient, you receive the invitation. You study and consider that invite. There's a normal delay that occurs as you're processing it, forming, forming your, your response. And then you reply, possibly by a specific date that's in the invitation. And it could be a yes, a no, or a maybe in response. And then when the sender gets that, re- that reply, they act accordingly. So it's a pretty natural thing. We have experience with this in our private lives. We have experience, hopefully, with this in our professional lives. It's very straightforward, explicit, and respectful. So some key points. The invitation puts the receiver in charge of what happens next. So you have that sense of control over what's going to happen to you because you received an invitation. You're you're in the driver's seat for you. Then the invitation, as I said, it's respectful. It triggers decision-making, which engages you. Your Your mind is engaged during this time, this normal delay that occurs in step four. Generally, this is like a pleasurable experience for us people. So like we said about agreements, without them, you really have nothing. Scrum has rules like a game. Did we agree to them? If so, when? If not, why not? And we've mentioned the Scrum Guide and how it relates to authority So I'm going to hop over an exercise that, again, we could do later. And then I want to talk about experiments. So we say that Agile is an empiric approach to a problem or opportunity that is complex. Empiricism implies learning by experience, and it's absolutely at the core of Agile thinking. Inspect and adapt starts with inspecting it's woven into the values and principles of the agile manifesto so experimenting is applying empiricism learning by experience the process of changing an entire enterprise or transforming it is best framed and presented as an experiment to the people who are going to be part of that transformation right So it's to be inspected and then adapted by everyone in the organization, not just the people who are in the positions of the highest level of authority. So I wanna pause and ask like, how does that land for you? If we frame transformation as something we're going to experiment our way through, learn by experience, and then adapt as needed, where everyone's involved. How does that? How does that make you feel? Are you more inclined and in, uh, inclined to cooperate or be complicit and engage, or not? Nobody has to reply here. It's an invitation to, to respond. We'll keep thinking. And then there's another, we could call this a thought experiment. Albert Einstein was very fond of these. This is how he did some of his most valuable work. Ask yourself, is the implementation of agile practices, at my company, an experiment to be inspected by everyone? Or is it a highly prescriptive directive from higher-ups to adopt specific practices? How's it happening for you? And if you want to, you can tell that story. You can wait for later and tell it privately to others. Or keep it to yourself. The choice is yours. So now let's speak about self-management. By self-management, I'm talking about self-organization and self-management is largely the management of decision-making. So self-managed teams know how they make decisions. Decision-making triggers engagement. One thing I'd like to say about self-management to try to define it a little bit better for our discussion. When I say self-management, I don't mean that everyone is an island and they get to do whatever they want to do. There's this principle of guardrails. Guardrails are for our own protection and for our alignment if we want to. So one way of inside of Scrum aligning with self-management and guardrails is to say The dev team gets to decide everything about the how a product is going to be created. That how is within guardrails where the what we're going to create is mostly decided by the product owner with some consultation with stakeholders and the dev team. But those guardrails exist the why is usually reserved for the founder of the company, the executive leadership, the business owner. They they define the why through a corporate vision or strategy. So there's, there's clearly some structure here. This is not like some sort of tyranny of structurelessness where everything is anarchy. There are guardrails inside of... Self-management. So, how does that land with you?
1: Well, it's, well, it's really awesome to that we're we're sharing back that the, about self-managed teams and and they know how to make decisions because,
0: you know, you're really
1: tapping into the intelligence of of individuals who, when they're not at work, have the capacity to make decisions about their own lives. So why not bring that back into the workspace and, and you call it guardrails, which I call bounded autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that gives us a framework to work within so that we are safe. You we know, don't, we don't drive on, on the left side of the road in, in a space where, you know, everyone drives on the right. Cause you know, that's chaos. Um, you know, we kind of like move into the space of, of where we live and, Kind of like when in Rome, you, you kind of have to, in some ways, behave as the Romans do. So um, it's it, those are choices that we do have, and, and thoughts that um, we can consider as we're going through what um, what making decisions about building software products. Uh, that's just my two cents on about that.
2: Right, and and self management it it doesn't preclude. Uh, Folks coming together and aligning on certain policies to say, like, wouldn't things go better if we all drove on the right side of the road, whichever direction we happen to be going in, that we're on the right, right half. Yeah. And then everybody says, "Yeah, I'm in." Great. Now we yeah. now we have some some guardrails or some boundaries, right? That that boundary in the middle of the road. Um, Sometimes we call it a border, a divider, but it's it's that same principle, like you say. And, and boundaries is relevant to this conversation. Um, it's uh, it's not something that I brought out uh, as as a major a theme here, but certainly it figures in, and and you know it, it warrants um, conversation towards understanding. So awesome. Here's something to consider: is by making meetings optional, or by making it okay to opt out of a meeting, engagement goes up, and engagement is everything, as we've said. Deciding is very engaging, so folks can actually decide. And one thing that I could could tell you from firsthand experiences with a client, you know, a Fortune 500 company, a few months ago, several months ago actually, the CEO in an all hands meeting said. If you're ever in a meeting and and folks are telling me that they've got a lot of them now that we're doing, you know, Agile, Scrum and Kanban. If you're ever in a meeting where you're not contributing, then I give you permission or I authorize you to go someplace better. He actually said that without my prompting, it just made sense. And maybe he was influenced by, you know, agility. But the point is, that we're all, we're all sentient beings. We all know what the vision for the organization is. In any given moment, we can know whether we're working in service to that mission or not. And so maybe the best choice is to opt out of a meeting mid-meeting. And if we can agree that that's, that's going to be a policy, that's the norm, no offense needs to be taken. So it is actually at play in large organizations authorized from the very top. So inviting is a leadership art for all of the reasons that we see on the screen. And when we have uninviting leaders, they really don't help self-management take hold. and. It doesn't help transformation actually occur in the organization. So invitation is this trigger to decision-making, which we want to encourage. So one thing that I want to just sort of put in your mind to consider doing right after this presentation, um, possibly Monday morning, if you have time. In your mind, think of a thought leader. Name a thought leader who you respect and enjoy in the agile space. Find their email or PM them on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, asking them, where do you stand on the issue of forcing frameworks and practices on teams? When is it okay to do this? And then they may not respond for a while. Maybe they're thinking. But after three days, maybe go ahead and ask them again and then share your experience with the rest of us we're all we're all interested in and you know how invitation as opposed to mandate might figure into an agile transformation or any transformation or not some other things that we could do if you're an executive leader try going first Try working in an Agile way yourself with your team, creating a backlog, daily meetings, an iteration demo, if you want to call it a sprint, have a sprint review. Another thing an executive leader could do is frame your enterprise Agile as an ongoing experiment. So it has a beginning, middle, and end. There's an inspection of the results of the experiment in the end. we can as an entire organization, learn and adapt at the end, and this will reduce triggering that leads to resistance, which absolutely kills transformations at the organizational level. Third thing you could do as an executive leader, work with the willing. What do I mean by the willing? Well, the willing, are what your pilot was made of. So they're the people that opt into the meetings about the agile transformation. Self-management is what scales, not your framework. Scrum, scrum People say scrum scales. Um, no, actually self-management is what's scaling there. Invitation creates a decision point and engagement and success for the whole organization. So try focusing on the people that have identified themselves as willing to engage in that experiment. And that circle of willing will grow. Fourth thing that a leader could do is start and end enterprise-wide iterations of experimental change with all hands meetings that are 100% optional to attend. And one way of describing that is open space, so both David and I are going to be kicking off uh, an open space event, open to the community, the public in general, in Tucson in 2019. That's what I mean by open space, open space technology. So there would be an enterprise-wide iteration and inspection of the process, not the product, where implement agile in an agile way is the theme. And you, inter- you iterate, inspect, learn, and adapt. This will reduce the cost of the transformation. And it will reduce the, the, risk, the risk of not succeeding. You'll get rapid feedback. You'll tap the collective intelligence, collective wisdom that Dave, Dr. Dave referred to earlier. And you'll get more in- engagement from the folks who are affected, namely the employees. Huge cost savings. Let's you perform a reality check, makes it more sticky. So here's a little bit about what an open space meeting format looks like. It's all hands. It's designed for dialogue, which leads up to real world action. And then it has this artifact called the proceedings, which just grabs the highlights of what was discussed in some breakout sessions. These proceedings are the cue to take action. And here's some pictures of actual open space meetings. This is the opening circle, which is like the plenary session of everybody who attends. And then there is this marketplace where people slot different breakout sessions for different rooms at different times of the day. This is the self-creating, self-organizing agenda of the event. And then this is a breakout session. People just sit in a circle, have a conversation about what they're curious about, possibly designing an experiment, reaching some kind of an alignment, possibly decisions, possibly requests, follow-up timeframes, whatever they want to converge on happens in that circle. There could be any number of sessions. You're not limited by, You know, the the number of breakout rooms you have folks could actually start walking together around the campus or whatever it is. And then this is the newsroom where the people who were the hosts of those breakout sessions. um, Or somebody that they delegated to grab the highlights in written form and put into one central repository which we will call proceedings. That's, that's actually captured in this newsroom. And then it's sent to everybody who was invited. And then there's this closing circle. One thing that we often ask people is how many of you have experienced an open space event inside of an organization rather than at a public conference? And I believe, as Daniel will attest, very few hands go up. Usually fewer than ten percent. So it would Can be I a real- you, John? Yeah, please do. I just
3: want to point out a fact. And the fact is that for over ten years now, worldwide in the agile uh, community and the worldwide agile industry, we routinely use open space in conferences. In fact, it is the standard way that coach camps are done throughout the world, John. And Dave you know this as well. So here's the deal, right? What is it about our community and our industry that prevents us from using open space inside organizations where where it can really do the most good, where it has has the biggest impact and can actually lead to a rapid and lasting agile transformation? And further, where is the encouragement from the institutions to bring open space into organizations? What is it about open space that um, uh, sets it up so that we, we use it in conferences, but we would never use it in organizations. It's actually a very interesting question to ask um, about the evolution of our industry and our community. What, what, what kind of reality distortion field are we in that would set up the conditions where it would never dawn on us to use open space inside an organization I'll just leave it right there for you,
2: John. Perfect. Actually, I wanted to close on that question. So thank you all for being a part of this conversation. And I look forward to future engagement on this topic. If if anybody would like to uh, email me or tweet me or direct message me on Facebook or LinkedIn, I would absolutely love to continue talking about that question. So thank you very much, Dave, for letting me be um, part of your, your meeting today. Um, it's, as always, been a pleasure.
1: Hey, John, thank you so much for for joining. Because, uh, you know, it's not my, it's, it's our community thing. And the thing that we're trying to create is a community here in Tucson that is not just limited to Tucson, Arizona, but it's open to the world at large. and. Uh, you know, thank you for stepping in at at the last moment. Um, As we know, our friend Hayden wasn't feeling well, but you know, that's the thing I love about this community is that we're willing and open to experiment, um, Mm -hmm. take some risks and bring some value back to um, the the community as a whole uh, in a global context. Um, And Thank you, Daniel and Ms. Ba for also joining today. Um, So I, I wanna pivot now that we're finished with this great presentation and questions that I ask is, you know, what are we reading right now? Well, what books are we into that we want to introduce back to the world um, at at this moment in time?
2: So I'm actually, uh, go ahead, John, and then I'll go. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm reaching for the book. It's buried in a, in a backpack, but I, I do carry it with me. So I've got, uh, Scrum, A Pocket Guide, A Smart Travel Companion by Gunther Verheyen. Scrum Insights for Practitioners, Scrum Guide Companion by Hiden Doshi. And Challenging Coaching, Going Beyond Traditional Coaching to Face the Facts by John Blakey and Ian Day.
3: Okay, and if I may, are you complete on that, John? I am, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to point out to the listeners and in the audience that um, a lot of the concepts that are in these slides and a lot of the things that John presented and I commented on today are coming out um, of a new book that publishes in the fourth quarter of 2018 entitled Inviting Leadership, Invitation-Based Change in the New World of Work. And that's co-authored. I'm authoring that and co-authoring it with uh, Mark Sheffield. Um, And in this book, we, uh, I believe, make the case for when, when there's periods of high change in business and society, leadership needs to pivot from mostly delegation to mostly invitation. So let's take a situation where I'm an employer and Dr. Dave is working for us. Okay. So we know that Dr. Dave is one of the top people in our company. He's a high performer He's got career options. And you know what's going to happen? If he smells any kind of um, aroma of BS in the air, Dr. Dave is going to loiter by the exits with all the other excellent people. And they are going to go to competitors. So we are going to have a double-barreled negative happen when Dr. Dave and everyone like him not only loiters by the exits, but literally vacates the building to go enliven and bring spirit to our competitors. And we're going to be left, you know, with all the C, D, and E players. And is that really what you want out of your transformation? So in the book, Inviting Leadership, we show leaders how to not only retain the best talent, but how to attract it and how to retain it. Okay, because these agile adoptions, we're going to lose people. And the real question is, are we going to lose our best people or other kinds of people. So if there's going to be some kind of attrition, if there's going to be some kind of rotation, we want all the C D and E players to to loiter by the exits, not the A players like Dr. Dave. So you can go to the website inviting leadership book Dot com, where you can learn about the book and you can also pre-order the book which um, publishes in December and I'm especially thankful to Dr. Dave and to John for bringing these concepts to the attention of the widest possible audience to, uh, through this podcast so thanks to both of you
1: uh, Thank you so much um, and, and the other thing is that I would like to uh, bring about is and oh, just discuss so briefly is you know what are we attending next and, and I could bring up and I'll, if there's anything that's happening within the next 30 days, if there's anything we would like to share, um, what, what, what event that we will attend next?
2: Hmm, the next event I'm going to be. In, uh, <laughs> yeah. This, this, uh, coming up Saturday and Sunday, um, I'm going to be in Ann Arbor and I believe that that is agile coach camp U S yeah Uh, mistaken yeah and um it's going to be going to be a great event if it hasn't already sold out i i would encourage anybody um to take that week and invest in yourself um harold shinsato uh will be there uh i will be there several other agile coaches i believe from southern california southern california will be flying out and i'll most likely be um making a session uh, to talk about engagement and invitation and leadership. So that's, that's where I'm headed next, just one week.
1: Nice. And so if there's nothing else, I'd just like to remind everyone that um, the Agile for Humanity Tucson Meetup, online and face-to-face, on-premise, um, our, our next session would be October 22nd on a Saturday, And I I will be presenting my first ICO, which is an initial coin offering. We're talking about Bitcoin, blockchain, and how do you bring that to market um, using lean thinking and and agility as as a practice. Um, And so hopefully you will have a lot, have others, and especially this group. This has been a great group uh, to hang out with today on Saturday. and with closing, I'd just like to say thank you to um, the Agile Alliance for their sponsorship of the webinar and our meetup accounts, and also for NullShare.org for you know the meeting space, for snacks, and, and also just thank you to John and Needlehoff for stepping in, and also Daniel Mezik for, for also bringing a great knowledge of open space agility and MISPA. Um, I'd just like to thank you also for joining this event. And with that, um, I will close and say I wish you guys a great remaining weekend time that you have, and I hope you're doing something fun, Um, and we'll speak again soon. Is there anything else anyone would like to offer before we close?
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. We would like to thank our sponsor. NullShare for the continued support for this podcast. Visit nullshare.org to achieve your awesomeness through agile coaching and training, digital transformation strategy, agile organization development, lean business startup, and diversity and inclusion training. Thank you Agile Alliance for the Meta Pro Account sponsorship. Learn more about Agile Alliance at www.agilealliance.org. We support lean thinking and agile life skills education through the 5 Saturdays program. Visit www5 to donate your time, money, and knowledge. Check out Dr. Dave's latest book, Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking? on Amazon.com. You will also find his book, Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way on Amazon.com. Look for the Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Share with Dr. Dave podcast is streamed on grokshare.com. If you have questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at Dr. Cornelius Info or at nullshare This podcast is produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2000.